Hello, and welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a podcast about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series by two moms who write about autism and who happen to also be Star Trek fans. Together, we talk about the new series, how it relates to previous versions of Star Trek, and any autism issues that we happen to see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hey, this is Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today we're talking about the episode, Choose Your Pain. It's an intriguing title because sometimes the pain we choose to inflict on ourselves is easier to bear than the pain we don't choose. We watched this week the episode, Choose Your Pain. I really liked it. How about you? So far. This is my favorite. I laughed out loud a couple times. There was no Klingon subtitles. I, I agree. It was actually... I did. I, I did like it. it was my favorite as well. And the layers that were in place in some of the scenes with characters were brilliant and wonderful. Our story starts off with Michael Burnham having a nightmare about being in the place of the tardigrade and suffering. She wakes up. And it's clear she's disturbed by what appears to be injuries that the tardigrade is experiencing when being used as the navigator for the spore drive. Right. And I have to say, I was not really excited about that opening because there are a lot easier ways to express that kind of concern and worry than, you know, a bad dream. I would have liked it if they had tightened that up a bit and not used that time for a bad dream. Yes, yeah, it was mu- it was a bit much. Yeah. Even my son, who wasn't really paying attention at that point, was like screaming. <laughs> She's screaming. Yeah, but then after that, that was the only point in the show that I actually was like, oh, I I kind of wish they hadn't done that. The rest of the episode was. I thought outstanding. So we, after she finishes her dream, I think then we jump to Captain Lorca, who's meeting with Starfleet. Starfleet's very excited about the spore drive. They are starting to rebuild um, from the prototype and put it into other ships. They're actively looking for more tardigrades to serve as navigators on other ships. And they've asked Captain Lorca to stop using the spore drive because they suspect the Klingons know about it. Right. We see him treating his eye injury, and then his friend the Admiral comes in and is talking to him about why doesn't he have that repaired by a doctor, and then you realize that he's carrying a self-imposed punishment for something. Yes, which makes him seem a little more human to me. He starts to become much more sympathetic, doesn't he? Yeah. The Admiral starts talking to him about his choice to include Michael Burnham on his crew and the resentment that engenders in the rest of Starfleet. And all of a sudden he becomes the underdog. Although later in the, I I think later in this episode, you find out he was already the underdog. Exactly. So we have the foreshadowing of that underdog role 
right there in that scene with his choose choice to use Michael Burnham. And then you're right, later in the episode we learn that he truly is the underdog and they are both punishing themselves for their own mistakes. So it's very interesting. All of a sudden we, these two are now a pair. And then that begs the question, is that really one of his reasons for taking her on? Affinity to her situation. Yep. And that was one of those scenes that I that you got so much out of it, and yet it was a really small scene with just great acting and great dialogue. So meanwhile, back on Discovery, Michael Burnham is talking with Lieutenant Stamets about and the doctor, the ship one of the ship's doctors, about her concerns about the tardigrade. And I don't recall whether Captain Lorca is captured by the Klingons before or after the conversation with the Doctor and Lieutenant Stamets. Captain Lorca leaves his appointment with Starfleet. He's captured by Klingons. Meanwhile, his ship is trying to figure out a better and less and more humane way to use the spore drive. And they've got these two storylines happening at the same time. The capture by the Klingons, you know, the first time I watched it, it was exciting. The second time I watched it, it was interesting. What did you think? What did you, you must have seen something the second time that I missed. Well, it was uh, exciting, yes, and you knew it was, they were definitely there to capture him. They were there to capture him. And from that moment on, every single thing that happened while he was in prison or wherever was all contrived. Very similar to the way he captured Michael Burnham on her transport. Yeah, now that you say that, yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I, I enjoyed so much the chess game that was happening on board the Klingon prison ship. The chess game with Harry Mudd, the chess game with so Lieutenant Ash Taylor, and the chess game with the Klingons. And I especially enjoyed when he was being tortured by Laurel. She was digging under his skin and he was digging under hers. We go back to Discovery. They're trying to figure out how to utilize uh, the spore drive without using the tardigrade. And so we got Star Trek's first F-bomb. Two. I know. <laughs> and, and this apparently is a big deal to some people. Was it a big deal to you? That's one of the parts where I laughed out loud. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. And then when he repeated it, I thought it was even more funny. Back to Captain Lorca. We start seeing signs of division in the prison cell, right? Harcourt, Fenton, Mudd, who I thought was terrific. I, I don't know the actor, but I thought he did a great job. I think it's Rain Wilson. Yes. How did Harcourt, Fenton, Mudd know so much about Captain Lorca's background? That was one of the things I was thinking. Maybe it's common knowledge. Maybe he, you know, he, he seems to have a, a thing about Starfleet. Before... Before he got to this prison, apparently, he had a thing about Starfleet. So maybe he just stories in the background of the battles. And Do you like NCIS? I do. I do, too. And what does Gibbs say? There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's too coincidental that he had so much information. I believe the Klingons hired Mud to be in that prison cell to serve as the foil between these two other men and I don't think that Lieutenant Ash Tyler is human. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I about I, I can I can agree with or that it's just self preservation and he has been spying on prisoners since he's been there and the Klingons gave him the information before he arrived. But you don't think Ash is 
a human. No, I think Ash is Vok. Remember when Laurel said he'd have to give up everything? Yes. I think. Really? Because remember, he said he had a, a relationship with the captain of the first officer, which is Laurel. And Lorca even was harassing her about that when he was going to be tortured. He was like, well, you must have some issues going on if you find your comfort with a human. We don't even have the right number of organs, which was a great line and made me laugh. It was the second time I left. I think uh, Mud made me laugh once. Yeah, there, there was about three times I laughed out loud. And... For a Klingon who is a species that's very much about honor, what kind of honor is there from going a, with from a love relationship with your fellow Klingon to a love relationship with a human unless it was the same person? That's a thought. Wow. Which then makes Captain Lorca's escape with Lieutenant Ash Tyler in tow add to the sense of contrivance that the entire capture made me think was happening. Wow. So we got to watch Ash Tyler. Vok and Laurel, when we last saw them, were trapped on the bridge of the Shenzhou with all of the computer equipment, including all of Starfleet's records all around them. They had access. They could have found anyone. They could have captured Ash Tyler and killed him and took on his persona. Yeah. Well, that'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I think that's going to be really cool. Actor, I really like him. Captain Lorca escapes, and um, and we do that because we figure out how to run the Discovery without the tardigrade. And how we do that is Lieutenant Stamets uses his own person to serve in place of the tardigrade, which is both a little upsetting because we don't want to see, you know, a crew member that we really like doing something that causes him pain. But he had that much empathy for the tardigrade. And he had the ability to make the choice where the tardigrade didn't clearly have that. Didn't, right. Didn't like him when the season, when the series started, but he's turned a corner. At the very end, we see, and I love this part. This was probably my favorite part was when, oh, oh, and we should talk about Saru because Saru has some really fascinating scenes. What did you think of his scene of his asking the computer to essentially do a command analysis of his personality? I, he, he knows that he's not, he knew he was not prepared. He has, seems to have, no self-confidence. He wasn't prepared. Although, actually, he turned out to be more prepared than I gave him credit for. And I kind of wonder if maybe that wasn't the point. You know, he was asking the computer to evaluate his command preparedness like it was an algorithm. And in reality, the only way he was going to be able to evaluate his own command preparedness was to actually engage in command. Right. And, and at the at the end, he didn't listen. He said, I know what I did. I also like the conversation between him and Michael. You know, when he admits that he doesn't hate her, he's jealous of her, that she took his place, or she took his spot. Yeah, that was a good conversation. Yeah, I do, I do like that. So hopefully they came to some understanding. And... and my favorite part was when he ordered her to save the tardigrade. Finally, at the end, when... Because earlier on when he said, well, just rehydrate him. Like it was nothing. <laughs> like it was a dried out sponge. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. I like that turnaround at the end. What I particularly loved about it was that he made it very clear in a very concise and short order, which essentially said, do what you need to do. Despite his fear of her, carte blanche to do whatever she needed to do in order to save the tardigrade. Yeah. I think that helped the relationship turn a corner. It absolutely did. And I liked how Discovery 
was able to rescue Captain Lorca. I thought it was very well done. I thought the scenes were exciting and not overly done. We alluded to this, but we didn't talk about Captain Lorca's confession in his uh, jail cell that he actually destroyed his ship and crew to save them from torture and death with the Klingons. And that's why he is refusing to have his eyes fixed as his own personal punishment. And it's like Michael Burnham's mutiny in that it was done out of love and respect and compassion and empathy for people he cared for. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what the difference is, except that he was the captain and... I don't know, because um, Mud seemed to think that he abandoned ship and the Klingons destroyed the ship, so maybe that's what most people think happened. Or maybe that's what the Klingons think happened, because, again, we're thinking maybe Mud got his information from the Klingons. Right. And the confession, I was... The second time around, I was watching... Lieutenant Tyler very closely during this revelation because what Lorca did in destroying his own ship and crew was a very Klingon act. Death in battle is an honorable way to die. Right. So it was different than what the Klingons had expected. They thought he was being a coward and running away. Running away, yeah. And instead he was, he happened to be able to get away and he wasn't, but his crew couldn't, so he did what he thought was the honorable thing to do. And I think the reason that his crime is treated differently, and we, I'm using the word crime only in quotes here because clearly it wasn't considered a crime or he would have been court-martialed as well. And the difference is, I think not only was he the captain, but he was a captain making a decision in a war situation, whereas with Michael Burnham, it was all about timing. They weren't at war yet. They were moments right. away from war, but they weren't there yet. And you know... There was that episode in Deep Space Nine. Do you remember the episode where Julian has to go to a medical conference and they're interacting with the Romulans and there's Section 31 is there? Yes. And the name of the episode is called Inter Arma Enem Silent Leges. And there's a translation of that that's made during the episode by the Admiral whose last name I can't remember. And what that translation is, is in time of war, the law becomes silent. Which is another way of saying, sometimes in war, the ends justifies the means. And I think that's why Starfleet may have looked at Michael Burnham's crime before war, trying to prevent war, differently than Captain Lorca's actions after war. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But also, he was a captain. That's an excellent point in that... The chain of command must be maintained. He wasn't obeying orders. And so even the goal of trying to prevent the war is not good enough to to defy the chain of command. I would think that's the way they look at it in Starfleet. And I agree 100%. I think you're exactly correct. I just think it's very interesting that the positions of these two characters are so similar and yet so different. Yeah. If... Captain Giorgio had not actually started talking to Michael Burnham about having her own command. Would Michael Burnham have started taking command level actions? He might have felt the need to prove herself or to think like a captain. Do you think that it was because Captain Giorgio started having her think that way that she behaved that way? Or do you think that she would have done it anyway? I think a little of both, but I do think that, you know, putting that in her head that she should have her own command would make one think start to think like a captain question maybe uh, orders that don't make sense yeah we start this at the series with the discussion that she's ready for her own command and then 
she doesn't get it because she failed the, the last test. Anything else from this episode that really struck you or that you were interested in? Well, they introduced the doctor, and I love that actor. I always have. So, And I'm glad that he's in a series as a regular. For, I'm assuming he's going to be a regular cast member. Um, I, like, I liked him, too. He's got a wonderful... This character has a wonderful air about him. Very... Very competent, him. pleasant, kid. Yeah. trustworthy. Yeah, I liked him a lot. He seemed to he seemed to be an ally for Michael. He, he didn't seem to let the mutineer way of what she was trying to tell him, trying to do what was right. And Tilly is also proving to be a really strong ally. I love the scene where she sat down with her in the lunchroom, like in, you know, high school with uh, the only person sitting by themselves. And, and, you know, she was like, sure, yeah, you're not busy now, so you get to think about all the things that are bothering you. That's probably tough. She just went right to the heart of it and opened it all up, and and that was exactly what Michael Burnham needed. One of my weird things, because, you know, I relate people to other shows. The doctor and the admiral keep showing up in a hologram. Yes. They were in an NCIS episode together. She, I believe it was her, because I remember her from Chicago Hope. She was a publisher. She was McGee's publisher, but he was her assistant, so they were in an NCIS episode together. I'll have to go look for that one again. That brings us to the very, very end, where we see Lieutenant Stamets looking in a mirror, and you then know, he walks away, and his reflection stays for a moment. He's out of sync with time and space, I think. Or do you, th- or do you think it's the alternate universe? Well, yeah, I guess. It, I mean, out of sync, I guess, yeah. Somehow he's connected with the alternate universe, and he's sort of tethered yeah. to it in a way? It could be. Imagine it's going to get worse. Should make for a very, very interesting story. I, that was the story, and it was a uh, a well-written, well-done episode that was, again, it stood on its own. You didn't need to know too much about what happened before to enjoy it. Far, this is my favorite. Did it feel like Star Trek? Not yet. What does it need? I think my problem right now is if they, if this was Star Trek, the continuing voyage, supposed to be a prequel, I think I could get with it a little more, but still, and I, I'm hoping they'll show us why, and why everything seems to be so... So the continuity is still a problem for you. It, yeah, it's bothering me that it's... It, it, and I think it would feel like Star Trek to me, like I said, if it was a continuing voyage, if it was like after Voyager. So what we're but missing it, here is the connection to the universe. For me, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. We've got a tenuous connection at best. Myself, that this is before original series, whereas in Enterprise, it looked, obviously, the, you know, technology and the uh, special effects were better than when in the 60s, but it still looked like a prequel. We're looking for both form and substance that connects us to the Star Trek universe, and we're getting a little bit of form and a little bit of substance, but not really a lot of either. And there's no explanation for why, so far anyway. One wonderful thing about this particular episode was that we didn't have to listen to Klingon. (laughs) And we should get that now because Laurel speaks English. So we've got that. And Ash Tyler apparently now speaks English as well. I'm sorry. I'm really hooked on him. He's Vok as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) That's a thought. I I didn't think of it that way. You know, she said she came from a family of spies and she was going to take him back to the matriarchs. And they were going to prepare him. And they took away all his Klingon exterior. And they taught him English. And they taught him how to function. They taught him what it meant to be a human. And here's the other piece. Bringing him along with you violates, like, one of the cardinal rules 
of when you're captured and put into prison. Don't trust the other prisoners. And I do think Captain Lorca knows that. And I do think Captain Lorca is going to keep that in mind when he interacts with Ash. Where will you think we're going to go next? Oh, I'm, I have to imagine we're going to see Harry Mudd again. That's where he gets his triples from. <laughs> oh no, I don't know. Clearly the spore drive isn't used in starships later on in the series. So are we going to continue to try to find the navigator interface that can work and not be damaged and do so of their own free will? Or are they going to have to abandon it and start something else? It doesn't look like they're going to abandon it anytime soon. I, I think as far as they're concerned, they found the interface. You think they'll use, continue to use I, Lieutenant Stamets? Well, I don't know if they'll, him specifically, but I do think they'll continue to use humans until they realize it's a problem. That actually, you're right. I, I agree, because that um, last scene with the the lingering image in the mirror suggests that. And Michael Burnham, who gives Captain Giorgio's telescope to Saru at the very end, she's settling in. Do you think we're going to see any more conflict with other crew members? You know, I don't know. I don't know what her job is going to be now. That's a good question. To tame the beast. The beast is gone. And to get the spore drive working, and it's working. Hey, don't know where she's going to fit in now. or Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Does she become superfluous now? And is Starfleet going to demand that she's removed from the crew? And what are the morale issues that might come from a refusal to do that? Apparently there already is morale issues, according to the Admiral. Next week's episode, I believe, is called Lead. It's the river in Hades whose waters cause drinkers to forget their past. So we've got a lot of characters there who would like to forget their past. Hey. I'm hoping that we continue to see some really great episodes, because I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I like this one. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com. That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingsteps.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. Music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter at Ross Bugden.